I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We would like to offer our respects to the traditional owners of all generations upon whose lands this podcast has been created. We'd also like to acknowledge any First Nations listeners. This sort of constant itch at the back of me or, you know, somewhere deep inside of me that started to taste this reading for pleasure and literature for pleasure and this understanding that this joy, this freedom and this creativity started to have this connection to an inner life. Hello and welcome to The New Writers' Room, a podcast for emerging writers. We are your hosts for the show. My name is Caitlin Chang and I'm editor at SBS Voices. And my name is Sarah Malik and I am a senior writer and presenter at SBS Voices. So in this episode, we would like to talk about the exciting new SBS anthology, Between Two Worlds, which is published by Hardy Grant. The anthology has the top 30 shortlisted stories from the 2021 SBS Emerging Writers Competition, including the winners chosen by judges Tara June Winch and Beirouz Bachani. So make sure you get yourself a copy because it's a wonderful first start for anyone thinking of entering the competition this year. Today we are joined by Emily Hart, an editor at Hardy Grant, who will be giving us an insight into what a book editor is really looking for from an emerging writer. Emily worked with a few of the stories that were published in this year's SBS anthology. And one of those stories was written by Nancy Huang, whose entry in last year's competition, Minimoke, was selected out of thousands of entries to be published in this anthology. Thank you both for being with us here today. Hello, Caitlin and Sarah. Thanks for having us. So, Nancy, I want to begin with you. So, in your story, Mini Moak, your entry to the SBS Emerging Writers Competition that's printed in the book Between Two Worlds, you retell a story of a man who entered your life as a young child and takes you out after school for chips and ice cream. Can you tell us a bit about what your story is about? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, look, the desire to actually try and capture the story on paper has always been a bit ambiguous for me. It was really a struggle because I started writing the story with my adult lens and I wanted to try and express the enormity of the event from the eyes of an eight-year-old girl who's recently arrived in Australia, in Western Sydney, who sort of basically confronted this, um, I think, quite foreign world and she had no English, she had no real understanding of how this new world worked and also the sense of foreboding because as an adult uh, looking back at that event that there was some foreboding and impending doom and trying to capture all of that. So, so for me, to be honest, I was really saved by the word limit of the SBS competition <laughs> <laughs> because... I think the original piece that I had sort of bubbling away in my files was over 5,000 words. And in order to submit, I had to be ruthless and cull and focus. 
some of our listeners might not have read Minnie Moak, but could you tell us a bit about, I guess, what happens in the story and the event that you're alluding to and what that was like kind of reflecting back on that decades later? Yeah, sure. Um, Look, it's really a story about a young girl who was thrust into a foreign world and has had to, for the first time, do everything on her own, you know, walk to school on her own, um, got ready in the morning on her own, came home um, by herself. She's eight or nine years old and she encounters this young man who delivered papers every morning on her way to school. And a relationship of sorts forms between the young girl and the young man. And this is really a story about how that relationship formed and what happened. I think you really captured the kind of excitement and wonder of, you know, from the girl's perspective and then reading it as an adult, the sense of foreboding. Why did you decide that now was the time to enter it into the competition? We've got all sorts of words now that I've grown into an adult that knows about this process. So there are words like grooming and, you know, stranger danger and and things like that. But English is not my first language and yet it is the language now that I'm most proficient in because my Mandarin is kind of frozen at that eight-year-old level. (laughs) But early on uh, in that period, English words sort of swirled around me quite slippery, you know, sliding past and I couldn't quite grasp it. So a lot of these early memories in Western Sydney and then later in Melbourne are really stored in my mind as visual snapshots or smells or feelings. But I think in my 30s, late 30s, 40s, during a period of enforced rest, I became quite ill. And I I then had the time to start to set down some of these images that were basically loitering in my head for decades and and finally formulating it into words. And the reason why I sort of really submitted it to the SBS competition, I think was a sort of alignment of the stars. It was the second lockdown in Melbourne. It was, uh, you know, quite a a lot of time to sit and ponder. And, And the final trigger really was prompting by one of my sisters. She saw the ad for the SBS short story competition in 2021. And um, it was really then kind of the impetus. I had the time, the space, working from home to finally knuckle down and finish a piece that had been sort of um, hovering in my mind for many years. Wow. So Emily, what stood out for you in terms of Nancy's story and what were the elements that made it such a good short piece? I think one thing that that Nancy spoke to, I mean, and you you even spoke to as well, Caitlin, when you're talking about this story is that tension um, between how well Nancy has captured the voice um, and the experience of a young Nancy, that kind of innocence, um, sort of a, a joyfulness about the experiences of young Nancy and how that then plays against that sense of where is this relationship going and, and how will it end? And so that really draws us in as a reader and gives a sense of narrative because we want to know how this is going to develop. And because in a short piece, the voice really does do so much of the heavy lifting. You can't sort of go back and establish character 
by giving us lots of different experiences. We need to, from the start, get a sense of the narrative and also the character, which um, Nancy does so well in how she establishes this story. She also gives us quite a lot of dialogue, um, which is another great tool um, in a short story to be able to get more of that voice and a sense of character and relationship development. You worked on a few of the entries for this anthology. What were what were some of the other pieces you worked on and what were they like? I think one of the best things as an editor working on a project like this is that you do have such a range of different voices that you are engaging with and the fact that that word count, you know, it's a very challenging word count for the writers, but it's an amazing word count as an editor to be able to really focus in on the small details because small changes make a big difference in a piece like that. And I did say to Nancy, I think that the edit I did on her piece and, and usually on most of the pieces for the SBS anthology was quite, what I would see as quite a light edit. But as Nancy you know, came back to me and said, for her, you know, she's worked so hard on, on making a decision around each of these words. So any anything you come back with, it doesn't feel like a light edit necessarily to the author. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's the most important thing is to try and, um, you know, justify the decisions or the suggestions that I'm that I'm making um, and, and make sure that I'm trying to understand what Nancy's intentions were. But we didn't talk about anything sort of big structural level. It really was getting down to those little details. And for a lot of our readers, the whole process of getting published and what a book editor does is such a mystery. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of go through what does your job as a book editor look like in terms of working with writers and making those changes? How do you go about looking at a piece and kind of trying to understand it in its fullness and make it the best that it can be? I remember the first email interaction Nancy and I had, she came back and saw, you know, my title was commissioning editor. She said, what does that mean? You know, where do you sit in the kind of structure of publishing? And so to be able to have those conversations is also really great. It's fun. I, I guess with a piece, you'd always want to get a, a first sense of what the editor, what the author actually wants to get out of the edit as well. And with a shorter piece, you can, you know, you can read it a few times and really take some time to digest and reflect on what might need to not, I feel like, yeah, maybe change. But I think as you, as you put it, Sarah, the idea of something becoming better, you always want a, a story to become more like itself. Someone once put it to me. You don't ever want to be coming in and, and trying to make something um, into something different. You're just trying to bring out the best in that story. So I was on board as sort of a first round of edits and then the pieces went to a freelance copy editor who's just looking at things like consistencies and sort of spelling and punctuation. And then it also then goes to the proofreader who does a final check of all those things as well. So there's usually we do have those three stages of edits, but at every one of those points, different people will pick up different things. Lots of the changes that we make, they are subjective, you know, and they're always suggestions and the author should always be able to push back on an edit. Hopefully, as Nancy was, be open to the edit and open to how we could be collaborating on bringing out the best in a story. But also, you know, the most important thing is that it's it's Nancy's work and it's Nancy's story and voice. And Nancy, this was your, I guess, first foray into memoir writing. And what was it like when you found out that you were being included in the anthology? 
<laughs> oh, look, I had to check the email a few times and made sure <laughs> it wasn't spam. You know, <laughs> it, it was such a, a complete and utter uh, surprise. I had no expectation that that would get anywhere, but I finally finished the story. I put a, a bit of a full stop to it and stopped changing it and editing it and, and sort of sent it away, you know. I mean, this is kind of like thinking, my God, have they have they made a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, and I guess, you know, Emily, you know, going back to that special editor-writer relationship, I think there's a bit of an alchemy there and perhaps the right editor um, is attracted to the right writer and vice versa. I was wondering, you know, your approach with each writer, is that different? Because you work with so many different writers and is it really about kind of understanding them and understanding what they need from you in terms of that relationship and developing that piece of work? Yeah, of course. And that, um, I mean, that depends with each project, you know, how much time you have to work on the project, how the project came to you. Sometimes as, as an editor, you might come in a little bit later in the project after it's been acquired and there's already quite a sense of how it's going to develop. But sometimes um, you can be more involved in kind of shaping the direction of something that you're working on. And that really does come down to as well, as you say, what what the author might want and need from that, that relationship. Because um, as an editor, you're sort of you're representing the author, absolutely. You're representing the piece and what you think is just best for the words. And then you're also representing what you think is best for the reader and trying to advocate for all of those people in every conversation. For some authors, you might be their first reader on a piece. And so, especially when it's memoir and they're talking about something very personal, trying to keep in mind all the feelings that come with that as well, to be sharing a story that that does you know, mean something to them on many different levels. Yeah, I can imagine it's a very delicate process. <laughs> yes, well, I um, I, I think actually for some people it, it's being able to share that story and write it down is very freeing and it can feel really good. Um, and then maybe this is the tricky bit where the story is published and now you have to talk about it and do some publicity or, you know, have other people reading it and responding to you because um, that's the other thing. When you write something, you might not always be imagining how many, you know, different people are going to pick it up and bring their own experiences to your words. Yeah. Um, and so, Nancy, what was it like for you going through the editing process? Yeah, look, I, I have to say from the outset, and it has been all through, a positive and, for me, a learning experience. Yeah. As Emily said, she's a really collaborative editor. So for me... That was kind of a, a little anxiety at the back of my mind when I thought through what that process and, and she outlined, you know, there is an editor, then a copy editor and a final reviewer. So I thought, wow, it's going to go through like several stages of, of different pairs of eyes. So for me, that was completely a different experience. It was collaborative. And the most important element of it was about building confidence. It's my first piece of writing that I've sent anywhere else. Um, it's the first time that I've had a real professional um, look at the, the sort of quality, if you like, or assess the writing. So while Emily said it was a light edit, for me, it didn't feel like a light edit but they were really significant small changes, I think, where I just learned that even if you, you know, things like if you swap the order of two words in a sentence, 
that could actually change the flow and the meaning and, and really improve it. I think that's beautiful what you said, Nancy, about building confidence because mm-hmm. when, you, when you are a culturally diverse writer in a space where you are kind of going into for the first time, you want to feel like you're in good hands and you want to feel as if that person understands what you're trying to do and what you're trying to say. And I guess, Emily, you know, what are you excited about in terms of the trends in publishing today and the challenges and opportunities for writers of diverse backgrounds? Um, because it's it's enormously difficult to get published. So what do you recommend in terms of writers getting noticed or really finding that right fit for them where they feel like their work is going to be appreciated and in the right hands? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it has been, I hope, a, a sort of a time of change in terms of some of the publishing, you know, whether people are looking for different voices to be telling different types of stories. I think that the difficulty and something that, you know, as a person, not a person of color or a culturally diverse background, I'm very aware that I'm working in an industry that is sort of, it's a cultural gatekeeper industry. And we do have a real problem with diversity within the publishing industry. Um, So I think even getting different voices telling stories, that's one step, but then having different voices and um, different perspectives on this end as well is so important. And you really do want people to feel like their stories are not just being given a platform, but then being treated well right through that publishing process. What's your advice to young writers or emerging writers in terms of getting noticed? Like as a book editor, what are you looking for in terms of the next best thing? I think that if you are interested in memoir writing, it is a really great space to explore at the moment. And I think for a lot of people, it's a great place to start with writing. I would encourage people to sort of write what they want to know, you know, follow uh, if there are books that you want to read and you don't see them on shelves, maybe you're the right person to write that book. And having the confidence to approach the publishing industry, I mean, in the US, for example, there are there's sort of another layer of gatekeepers within the industry with agents, which aren't as big a part of the industry in Australia. You really can just directly approach a publishing house. They might have certain restrictions around what kind of projects they're looking for or what time of year they might have submissions open. But most publishers in Australia are really keen to hear from people and from people they might, you know, you know, they might not have heard certain stories before. So to have that confidence to reach out. It's great advice. And Nancy, your bio in the anthology says that you migrated to Sydney from Taiwan in 1970 without a word of English and then worked as a doctor for 35 years. It also says that now as a grandmother, you finally succumbed to that itch to write frivolously, which I loved. But what was the Australia like that you migrated to in the 70s? And did you see any stories that kind of reflected your reality growing up? I think the 70s Western Sydney, so we moved and um, moved into a two-bedroom flat in Mascot (laughs) in Sydney. It was really a very, very foreign place where there was no Chinese faces, there was no Taiwanese. And in 1970, Australia still had the official white Australia policy. The walk to school, I, I had never encountered people drinking beer outside of pubs um, at nine o'clock in the morning. But I, I think my walk to school, it was all 15 or 20 minutes 
uh, of that, walking to the primary school. My sense, as I said, my memories are embedded in some of the images and smells because I didn't really have the English words then. And it was smell of sort of beer and um, men sitting outside of these streets and cars, just cars everywhere. And in Taiwan, I certainly wasn't in 1970 used to seeing lots and lots of cars. So there were fast cars, there were foreign faces. And I think trying to watch television, listen to radio through those sort of first 10 years or so in Australia, you couldn't really see anyone or I couldn't really see anyone that I related to. I definitely felt that in the piece you depict that so beautifully, a young girl who's in a very foreign environment and feels like an outsider um, and is craving that validation and you do that so beautifully. And your journey from immigrating to Australia, not speaking a word of English, to becoming a writer, what was that like? Like how did you get bitten by the writing bug? Oh, uh, look, Sarah, it hasn't come quickly, has it? I mean, I turned 60 last year. So it's been a slow brew. It's been a a real percolation process. Um, Look, I believe that all writing is built from the shoulders of great writers. And so I came to great literature very late in life. Believe it or not, I didn't read any novels outside of my school curriculum until I was in my late 20s, until after I started work. So my formal education and career path was very much grounded in science and facts and numbers. And although what came out of it was this sort of constant itch at the back of me or, you know, somewhere deep inside of me that started to taste this this reading for pleasure and literature for pleasure and this understanding that this joy, this freedom and this creativity started to have this connection to an inner life to, to sort of enable me to not just be externally focused which is what I've done for many, many decades of my life. But literature allowed me a bit more of an inward-facing look and, and expression because I think the nuances in life through the first four or five decades of my life was very black and white. So this luxury <laughs> of, of being older I think is also me learning that those shackles of truths and shoulds are loosened, that that there is just so much grey. I'd like to put some of these images and, and narratives swirling in my own head down on paper. And so I started to write in my, basically in my 30s and 40s and, and started to hone, you know, alongside of family and, you know. I was wondering how did your family respond to the story? Had you told them about it before writing it? No, I hadn't. And look, I think this is an emerging and and a lot of children of migrant families and a lot of memoirs and stories that are coming out that I've read since, it kind of just is taken as all part of the great transformation, the great change and the great adjustment that needs to be not quite suffered through but (laughs) kind of like, you know, we're all doing it and we're all changing and we're all making compromises. I think my family took it in their stride and thought, oh, that's just another one of those things that we didn't know about. But, you know, 
they've probably all got a million stories in their heads about the journey that they all went through in trying to make that adjustment and that leap of living from Taiwan, Taipei, to the sort of enormous opportunities in Australia, but also enormous changes that we all had to adjust to. I wanted to just redirect towards this year's competition, which the theme for this year is emergence. So, I mean, that can be taken quite literally, you know, it can be interpreted in a number of ways, emerging into your true self from a particular period in your life, emerging from restrictions and lockdowns. And, you know, it's a good opportunity for positive stories. So, Emily, what kind of stories are you hoping to see this time around for the next anthology? The themes for these anthologies, you know, you can interpret them in many different ways um, and someone might see something very different in the idea of emergence than someone else. But I think that one thing that I think ties in really nicely with this theme is the idea of how a short story can emerge through your experiences and how you might be able to to find something in your experiences that you didn't think was a story, but when you when you piece it together, you can see how that is going to to form a piece of writing that might then connect with a reader. Yeah, you know, and that's like what Nancy did with having her bigger piece and then distilling it down to two thousand words. And so, what is I guess your kind of you know best advice for people wanting to enter this year and have their piece stand out amongst thousands of entries like Nancy's did? Yeah, I think that getting an edit, you know, working on the edit before you submit is so important and whether that is you trying to look at the story through some different eyes, you know, putting it away and coming back to it. So if you do have other people in your life that you're willing to share your work with, um, which is why, you know, writers groups and courses are so valuable, then you're you know, much likely, much more likely to have a piece that will stand out because it, it's already gone through those those stages of, of workshopping. Brilliant. Um, and Nancy, you've emerged as a writer later in life. Um, so I wonder how you relate to that theme of emergence and what you think you might write if you were writing to that theme and, and your advice to writers who are entering this year, you know, hoping to be you. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'm still getting... Um, Getting used to that label of an emerging writer, I kind of feel like it's quite ironic, isn't it, for a 60-something um, uh, woman to, to sort of be emerging. I, I don't know that I've got any good advice <laughs> that I could give other than my own experience. And I think there is a real craft to writing and there is a craft to be learnt. But the individual unique talents or, or style that you bring is really important. I've, I've taken a short course in creative writing about 10 years ago and, and really appreciated the frameworks that I learned. But really through this process, what's really been emphasised to me is that in the end, writing is about the writing. So just getting down to it on my own, in my time and engaging with the words that are swirling around in the head, catching them at the right time, putting them down on paper. In the end, that's what really works. Yeah. I would I would love to add to that even from an editorial point of view that um, so many people when they think of editing think about rules 
you know, that you need to stick to certain grammatical structures or that, you know, something does need to follow a three-part story structure or something like that. And it is great to know and understand these rules, but the best thing you can then do with them is break them and, and find your own way of, um, of subverting expectations. Um, so don't feel like in the writing process or then in the editing process that you need to just be ticking certain boxes. It's great to forge your own path. Yeah. yeah. Follow all this advice, but break all this advice if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Thank you so much, Emily and Nancy, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you both and hear your insights into what is often a mysterious process for writers. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Caitlin, Sarah. Thanks, Emily. Thanks so much. Uh, gosh, Caitlin, I really loved um, what Nancy said about writing being a process and you have to kind of chip away at it. I think that's really encouraging advice. Yeah, you can be an emerging writer at any age. And don't forget that if you want further inspiration to enter the competition, just pick up a copy of the Between Two Worlds anthology, which will be released on August 3. And make sure you listen to next week's episode where we will bring you a special recording of the SBS Voices panel, What If My Mum Reads This, from the Sydney Writers' Festival in May. So in this panel, we were joined by writer Benjamin Law and the previous winners of the SBS Emerging Writers' Competition, who were talking about the highs and lows of writing from your life. Such a thrill and honour to be sharing the stage with these wonderful writers. The new Writers' Room is produced by Caitlin Chang and Sarah Malik, with audio production by Jeremy Wilmot. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Toich. You can find SBS Voices on Facebook or on Twitter. 